In our gospel today, we have a famous passage. The disciples are with Jesus, who's asleep in the boat. The wind and the waters are raging. Disciples lose their nerve and wake Jesus up. Jesus calms the sea, rebukes the wind. So yes, we're reminded of the divinity in Jesus. For who else can calm the wind and sea? But there's something remarkable about the disciples in this passage. They've been traveling with Jesus and had seen him already heal many and even exercise a demon out of a man in the synagogue. And yet at this point, they're still not completely aware of the peace that Jesus brings because they have their own agenda. They're not fully aware of the saving presence in Christ. They're not plugged in. And you can sense their amazement then at this passage, when this passage unfolds to us. They're amazed. We're not exactly a seafaring people. We live in Atlanta, Georgia. The only uh, nautical adventures I've had around here are on a pontoon boat at Lake Lanier and uh, shooting the hooch back in my 20s. But... uh, We do have our moments of rough seas. We run into difficult life circumstances. Our lives are stressed out. We overwork ourselves. We struggle in our relationships with each other. We struggle in our ability to see our real self-worth, our real value in God's eyes. Perhaps it's because we forget often that God in Christ is with us in our boat waiting for us to turn to him. We prefer to go it alone, and our seas get rough. I just returned from a pilgrimage to Ecuador. We had 11 teenagers and five adults, including myself. I'm one of the adults, not the teenagers, in case you're wondering. (laughs) And uh, naturally, I spent... time sizing up our pilgrims, trying to get a sense of their character, their traits, their strengths, their weaknesses, where they were, what their pulse was spiritually. And some of the things I noticed were not surprising. Our teens have mountains of schoolwork, to which we add mountains of activities in the form of athletics and various clubs and volunteer opportunities, employment responsibilities, camps, all sorts of extracurricular activities. And they all add up. Our teens have a full life. They're achievement-oriented. They're pushing themselves to be greater, to compete, to get into their college of choice and make their mark in the world. Their current array of activities is different from ours, but our teens are the same as we. They are distracted spiritually. They are often stressed out. Their relationships suffer. They get confused. Their confidence suffers. And they struggle to see their true self-worth in God's eyes. And this is not a critique of, of parenting, because our teens are a reflection of all of us, our community. We are all part of the system. We all feed the system. It's the American way, if it's not the Western way. And we spend so much time trying to manage our lives and the lives of others that we forget to plug into the saving presence of God in Christ. 
And we do not know how God will respond to our needs because we spend little time inviting God into our space. We spend little time with our Creator. Is it any wonder then that when we have rust seas, when things seem unmanageable, when everything seems to be working against us, we lack faith? Is it any wonder that in our times of need, we are not always confident that God can calm our seas, beat back the wind, bring us peace? We forget God's saving presence. On our pilgrimage to Ecuador, we pilgrims saw many things. We were on mountaintops looking out at the valley below. Sometimes it was a rural picture, sometimes urban. And we could look across the valley to the mountains in the distance. And there were clouds whisking over them. Sometimes there was a snow-capped volcano in our sights. We straddled the equator at the middle of the world with one foot on each side of the northern and southern hemisphere while standing within a massive and slightly tacky sundial. We saw grass-covered pyramids engineered by pre-Incan cultures, and we walked in reconstructed homes of the pre-Christian indigenous people. We took in the sights, the sounds, and the smells of an open-air market in Otavalo and worked on our bartering skills. We were able to haggle with people. We stood in a Roman Catholic church that was built in this Baroque style, and every inch of the church was covered with some sort of design or pattern artwork, and the entire church was covered with gold leaf from the bottom of the wall up into the ceilings, entirely covered with gold. You've not seen so much gold in your life, I swear. It was like Fort Knox. We climbed hundreds of feet up the clock tower of the Basilica of the National Vote in Quito while a congregation celebrated the first communion of many young Ecuadorians in the nave below. And then from the tower of the Basilica, we looked out at the city of Quito with all its urban complexity its poverty, and its beauty all unfolding before us. We volunteered at the Episcopal Cathedral, a simple church with lots of natural lighting, dark wooden pews, and some large, beautiful stained glass windows, and some of the warmest people we've ever encountered in the entire body of Christ. And yet all these excursions would have been exercises in busyness, if we did not take time out for God, if we did not engage in spiritual work. In the early stages of our pilgrimage, we were staying at a hacienda just outside of Cayambe in the Ecuadorian countryside. Now, this plantation was over 450 years old. And the, the thick white walls and a dark stained floor and a Spanish tiles roof all ooze history and character. And this hacienda has a small, simple chapel, and, an, and it's the oldest structure in that hacienda. And there's another church that they built there, which now operates as a simple museum. There was a large amount of farmland there with horses and mules. And inside the walls of the hacienda, there was a large courtyard covered with cobblestone, and there was an old fountain in the middle. 
of this courtyard. And we gathered there our first day there, and one of our chaperones gave a meditation on poverty based on the words of Henry Nouwen. And the pilgrims listened to that meditation and were asked to go reflect and journal for about a half hour, each pilgrim on his or her own in silence. So everyone spread out somewhere in the courtyard, somewhere out in the fields. Others were up the tower of the church. People were on benches, on boulders, stone flooring, grass. And in every nook and cranny, it seemed, there was a pilgrim in silence, writing and reflecting. And so afterwards, we gathered to take on the day, one of our activities, and one of the pilgrims remarked to us, that was great. Are we going to do that again? Yes. Every day. So each day, we gather to reflect and journal individually during the day. And each night, we gathered as a group to debrief and discuss and explore how God might be working in each of us. And then each evening, we would conclude with Compline, a simple evening prayer service found in your BCP, if you're not familiar with it. It's a beautiful service. It's a great way of getting centered. And throughout these intentional gatherings, one could begin to see God at work. Our pilgrims really began to unplug, to pull out from the busyness of their lives and began to allow God to stir within them. Confidence grew in some. Happiness grew in others. Compassion stirred in some. Justice became an issue for others. Others reflected on community, Christian community, the body of Christ, and friendship. And our community within the community of all saints grew stronger. And by the end of the pilgrimage, there was a sense of peace present among our pilgrims that was not there before. On our final reflections, on our last evening in Quito, our pilgrims said things they would not have said before. One pilgrim remarked, I felt disconnected from the church, from God for the past year, and and I feel connected and closer now. Another said, I can see that God has given me confidence that I did not have before. Another pilgrim remarked that I can see God's work in my life now, and God wants a better life for me. This remarkable discussion continued for some time, and it was clear this was not the same group as before. Our pilgrims were touched by God in different and meaningful ways, and I was reminded of how God can calm the waters, bringing peace to us. I was reminded of the saving presence in God and Christ, Christ who is in the boat with the disciples, Christ who is with us now, if we will only take time to seek out and notice Christ. And yet, while I and the other chaperones marveled at God's work in our young adults, we were given one final jolt by the following words. I'm afraid, one pilgrim said, I don't want to go back falling into the same pattern in Atlanta. I wish we could keep this going. 
As Pilgrim acknowledged a sad reality, we can't stay unplugged from Atlanta much longer. We couldn't do it. We were headed back. We would be swept back into the tide of the rough Atlanta sea of busyness, achievements, deadlines, pressures, activities. That's the reality. That's our world. But one of our leaders was quick to point out that night, and rightfully so, that we do not have to go back to that way. We can continue to create space for God in our lives. We can continue to pray, to reflect, and grow. We do not have to plug into Atlanta in the same way we have in the past. Ecuador provides a unique context for reflection, unique indeed. But pilgrimage happens in our hearts. In the midst of our stormy lives, we can make space for God in Christ. Christ is with us, waiting for us, waiting to calm our seas. Christ is telling us, do not be afraid, have faith, I am with you. Now is the time. We have the gospel each Sunday. We're about to receive the sacrament of the body and blood of Christ and meditate on the work of Christ in us. Now is the day of salvation. We could choose pilgrimage and take time out for God. We could choose a walk with Christ who brings us peace, who brings us the saving presence of God. We can choose this not only this Sunday, but every day. Every day we can choose pilgrimage.